0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians dot com. We thought you might like to know that there is a women's shelter here in Indiana that is empowering men, actually, to help change the societal problem of violence and domestic violence. Their program, Men in Action, collects men from around the county, Hendricks County, to get involved in communities. And, and one of their programs puts 450 men in all elementary classrooms across the county in a single day. That's coming up soon here on The Chris Spangle Show.
1: Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9 dollars each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate
0: Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in Sheltering Wings and why do you want to work there?
1: So I have been at Sheltering Wings for almost 10 years. I had some background in education And just have a passion for women and children in hardship situations, just from personal experience of family members who have had gone through some stuff that just makes it harder for them to achieve where they really want to be in life. And my heart goes out to people in those situations that if I can do anything to help them get a step up or in the right direction, then that's what I want to be able to do. And the shelter has allowed me to do that in the community.
0: So founded in 2002, Sheltering Wings was founded by the Cornerstone Christian Church Food Pantry in Brownsburg, Indiana. And while people were collecting the food, they started to notice that women were struggling and being abused and saw symptoms and signs and realized that my home county that I grew up in had no Shelter for women, for domestic violence victims, excuse me, because men can be victims too. And so they founded Sheltering Wings and 20, 21 years later, is that right? Yeah, 21 years later. What is Sheltering Wings? What has it turned into out of those group of local citizens that decided to make a change?
1: Gosh, we have 80 beds throughout the shelter. We're able to serve families in Hendricks County as well as some of the surrounding counties and impact them through life skills, children's program, prevention, education. Even just in the 10 years that I've been there, it has definitely grown to be a great asset for our community, whether it's someone who is in need of our services or someone who wants to help someone who's in need of our services.
0: Yeah. Hendricks County has grown a lot since I grew up there as a kid in the nineties and it's added a lot of population in your 10 years there. What have you seen change?
1: Oh, gosh, our schools have grown. When we moved here, we specifically chose Avon because of the school corporation. And we've seen it grow and blossom tremendously, as well as all the other school corporations in our area. We're a family of four. And so our kids have gone through the school system here in Hendricks County. And just the number of families that we have seen, the houses, the economy, the just neighborhoods in general, just growing. And
0: and how's that changed your work yeah. at Sheltering Wings?
1: Definitely the need has increased. When you think about the statistics for domestic violence, one in four women and one in seven men, everybody knows somebody. So there's someone on every street, there's someone in every church, there's someone at every workplace who is in need of our services. And I remember, gosh, years ago, probably... Maybe seven years ago, just seeing an increase in a need daily, we were at capacity for our bed space at the shelter, and it stayed like that for a long time. We are still at capacity. It's just now, since COVID, our capacity looks a little bit different as far as the number of people in shelter at a certain amount of time, for a certain amount of time.
0: How did it change during COVID? What changed?
1: We had a lot of people who their option was to stay with their abuser in their home or to leave and go to community living where the likelihood of catching COVID was higher. And that was very scary when it first hit. And so we had a lot of people who didn't leave. They stayed with their abusive partner. And so our numbers went down. And not that domestic violence went down, just the number of people who were reaching out for services went down. And after COVID, we started to see those numbers go back up. And now we're back up to a point where we were pre-COVID of the number of people who are in shelter and needing services.
0: One thing I noticed when I was doing the Public Affairs Radio Show during 2020 is that everyone that I spoke to who works in the field that you work in thought that there may have been a doubling of domestic violence incidents and child abuse incidents, but they weren't being caught because people weren't out and about. What did you see during the pandemic? What was the kind of the human toll of being isolated?
1: Oh, of course. There was the mental health component of it, the stressors on families that maybe weren't In full on abusive relationships, but now there's all these other stressors added on to what was already an unhealthy situation that just made it more toxic, more volatile, because now they're worried about money and health and work and family dynamics and technology and all of those things just added to what might have been an already unhealthy situation and made it worse. And like you said, we didn't have we weren't connecting with people in real life. And so it was much harder to identify when those situations went from unhealthy to abusive.
0: Now, you are the prevention and education officer. You were actually teaching a class today to my alma mater high school. Um, Talk about your role and what you do in prevention and why that's so important.
1: So prevention at Sheltering Wings has grown a lot over the past probably five years. We've seen the need to reach out to our community at a young for younger and younger ages, starting conversations with young people about healthy relationships, starting conversations with parents so that they know what to talk to their kids about from preschool all the way up through high school. Like, we wanna start these conversations early so that they become part of our everyday communication with our families. And then in turn, we're building strong families with good communication. But that looks different for every family. And that looks different in the community in different aspects and areas. If we can equip a church to respond to victims or if we can equip a church to look at what primary prevention looks like from sharing with their congregation about healthy relationships, workplaces, creating an environment that's equitable and safe for all their employees. And then schools is really one of the greatest places for us to have an impact because these are um, young people who have yet to maybe have relationships. And if we can equip them to navigate their relationships in a way that's healthy and adds value to their life, then we're hopefully preventing them from ending up in a situation that's unhealthy or abusive.
0: So give me some specifics that our listeners could take away that that you talk about every day that are maybe pieces of that training or things to watch out for or things to work on. Give us some actionable items that our audience could use.
1: Sure. When I, in a typical training, we start everything with a healthy relationship because we never want to take for granted or assume that someone is in one or knows what one looks like. And so we talk about what the healthy components of relationships are, trust and respect and honesty and support and acceptance and equality. Those are all things that we want to build the foundation of our relationships on. And then that's for every relationship dynamic that you have has a potential to be healthy or unhealthy. And we want to build our foundation on the healthy stuff instead of the unhealthy stuff, which is the... Belittling and the name calling and the isolation and the humiliating and the um, emotional control, financial abuse, controlling how their money is spent—all those little red flags that you often hear people say. I don't know how we got to this point. It's all those little things that start to add up. They just started dismissing my feelings, or they made me feel like I didn't have value or anything to give or add to the relationship, or. They started to question where I was at and who I was with and wanted to have access to my location and go through my phone and all those little things that start to we like maybe question initially, okay, all right, I can be trusted, but here's my phone for someone to go through, or I haven't done anything. I need you to trust me or believe what I'm saying. And it's all those little things that starts to take hold and become part of that foundation that ultimately can be circled back to the power and the control that someone else has over their partner.
0: If somebody is listening right now and thinks they may be in that situation, or they may have a loved one that's in that situation, what would you advise them to do? What are some steps that they ought to take?
1: First and foremost, I would tell them to tell someone about it. Um, uh, survivors and victims of abuse often feel like they're alone and they don't have anyone confiding in someone that they can trust who can support them and be there for them, whether they're staying in the situation or they're choosing to leave someone who they can depend on and who they can have accountability with and who will check up on them and make sure everything's okay. And the other thing I would say is even and not being alone, it's a sense of feeling like they're alone, but they're not. Our shelter is available just to talk to someone. We have advocates who are available for our crisis helpline every single day, all day long. And maybe someone isn't ready to come into shelter, but they just want to talk to someone. They want to know, is what I'm actually experiencing abuse? Visit our website. We have things that you could, someone could go through and answer, like, does this happen? Do they control your comings and goings? Do they, and all these lists of questions can help someone identify that, yeah, what I am experiencing is abuse or, okay, things aren't this bad, but they may be pretty unhealthy. So educate yourself, educate the people that you are close to, and then be aware of what those resources are, our shelter, other shelters around the state of Indiana and knowing that you're not alone to confide in someone that you can trust.
0: So, I think a lot of times people have a stereotype of a person who might go to a shelter or someone who might experience abuse as poor woman who is a woman who's likely disadvantaged, who is living in a very violent situation. Obviously, Hendricks County has poverty. Every community does, but it's middle class to yeah. upper middle class area. I think some people might not expect themselves to be in some of those situations, and they may be having feelings long before it gets violent. Uh, When I don't know if you talk to folks who are suffering domestic violence or abuse. What do you say to them to get them to come in, to maybe think about their situation differently and encourage them to take some different steps?
1: Sure. So as a, even like before it becomes to like a professional who can for someone and encourage them, even just as a support person, as a friend, when you start to, when you know the signs and you can start to see things that just seem off or you're questioning like what's going on here, even if someone has confided in you, I always like to use the statement, say what you see, say what's happening, say what has changed, say what you observe because it's you're not trying to allude to anything, you're not trying to tear down their partner. You're just saying what you've seen happen. Like you've become isolated. You don't ever spend time with your friends anymore. What's going on? You've given up the things that you used to enjoy doing. What what's happening that has caused you to give those things up. When we say what we see happening, we're making an observation. We're not accusing anyone of anything. We're not implying anything. We're just observing what we see happen. And in those observations, we can say, I'm worried about you. I'm afraid of what's going on. You've become isolated. But in that, we're expressing that we do care and we are concerned about someone. And then we can hopefully they're willing to confide in us. And if they're not, then you just keep questioning, keep asking, keep checking in, having that consistency with them. And then if they do confide in you, what do you say next? I think a lot of times people will ask the question, why are you staying? You have to leave. And those can feel for a victim, feel very much like victim blaming statements. If all we do is just reframe Our communication and how we ask those questions, like I'm afraid of what will happen if you stay versus I think you should leave or you have to get out of it is just the slightest reframing of the question can help a victim feel supported and like you're not judging them. And then when you someone calls the shelter and they are questioning if what they're experiencing is abuse, we have a series of questions that we go through that are yes or no questions. They don't have to give any other explanation other than yes or no, this has happened or it hasn't happened. And then based on their answers to those questions, we can let them know you are in an abusive situation and your situation may be dangerous. Here's what we can do for you. Maybe they're ready to come into shelter. Maybe they're not ready to come into shelter. And then we help them create a safety plan so that they can be safe if they choose to stay.
0: Would you recommend like a single book or a website that people could look if I just want some personal training as I've had those conversations with friends, both male and female about their Mm -hmm. relationships, but I've had a lot of those conversations. I'm 39. If you're younger and you're somebody that your friends rely on or you have somebody and you just want to know a little bit more before you have that conversation, what book do you recommend or website? (laughs)
1: Book would be hard because I don't. I mean, I've read lots of books, but there are some. I think books tend to be a little bit more specific when you're looking for general or broad information. Obviously, the Sheltering Wings website, shelteringwings.org, we have tons of information on there about abuse, what it looks like, questions to ask, downloadable safety plans. All that stuff can be found on our website for anyone who's experiencing abuse, but for someone who's younger, like in the 16 to 20 category we there's a great organization called loveisrespect.org that is the national teen dating violence coalition or organization and they just have tons of information about young relationships new relationships for young people as they are trying to navigate is this abuse what do boundaries look like when is it time to end it things like that
0: and they've got quizzes so you can check that out I'll put that link in the show notes so you can take some quizzes and and maybe find some answers. So rarely do I wake up on Facebook and go, oh, this is interesting and positive. So I woke up this morning and I saw the very first thing when I woke up was sheltering wings, sharing a post, which I've never seen you in my feed, but it was saying, hey, we've got spaces left for men to come and read to schools. And I went, what is this? And it made, immediately made me stop. I'm in the middle of reading a book by Richard Reeves called Of Boys and Men that's talking about how men are struggling and then the bad effects that causes. I, again, men go through abuse too, but by and far, I have noticed it with my female friends. My every partner I've ever had has had that guy in their past. And it really seems to me that fixing men or a segment of men, a percentage of men would go a long way. Yeah. And so I was really curious about your men in action group, because I've talked to a lot of shelters for this program, but I've never had a group that has a men's component to it. And I'm really curious to know what men in action is.
1: Yeah. Men have men and boys have a can have a huge impact on ending domestic violence and violence in general, because men tend to be the leaders in our communities, the leaders in our homes. And so when a man is leading well, then we will see the benefit of that leadership as it is trickles down to the younger generations. Men in Action was born from a thought of if we could engage the men who are already leading our community well and help them to be intentional about their leadership when it comes to the prevention of dating violence, domestic violence, and violence in general, we might see Some progress made. We might be raising up young men who have a leader to look to that is based on integrity and respect and honesty and trust, those key things that create, help a man to be the best man that he can be for his community, his family, children, neighbors, anyone. And so the kind of men in action came from that concept of what would that look like for our community? What does that look like for engaging those men? And we knew that Hendricks County is a great community to be a part of. We know that we have lots of men who support our mission. We have lots of men who support great initiatives in our community, and we wanted to be able to engage them in a way that was intentional um, when it comes to preventing violence. And so we just started having the conversation with some influential people in our community back in 2017 and, from it was birthed this idea of yeah, let's encourage men to be intentional in their leadership.
0: So, who makes up the Men in Action Committee?
1: We have a committee chair who is currently Rick Bass. So the committee has gone goes through like evolution every now and then of leaders and what that looks like. We have a committee chair and then we have some committee members. And so currently on the committee is Rick Basso. He is our committee chair. He's in Hendricks County native. We've had some other, like Jack Sadler, Durr, Sean Wilson. Are are these folks
0: who are like, give me, give me like maybe where they stand in the community if you need to, if you need to take a break too, by the way? (laughs) feel free. (laughs) Give give me, so because people who are maybe in Texas listening to this may not know who that is, but give me some idea of the kind of men that are involved, maybe what their role is in the community and what impact they've had.
1: Sure. So we've got law enforcement, sheriffs, deputies, we have business owners, we have pastors, we have men, we have dads, we have school administrators all have been a part of this group because when you think about how the impact that men have they have an impact in all the areas of their lives how a man can lead his peers in his workplace to create an environment that's safe and equitable for everyone will look different than the how a father leads if he volunteers in his kid's classroom or how a pastor can lead young men who might be coming up into their adulthood. And so we wanted to take this multi-pronged approach of making sure that there were all these different aspects that were covered of where men have influence in the community. So maybe it's Boy Scout leaders or coaches, teachers, educators, law enforcement, medical professionals, anyone who can use their influence for the good.
0: Very good. So where did the reading kids' stories at elementary schools come from? <laughs> sure. Is it elementary schools or is it's that elementary schools? Okay. Yes.
1: Yeah. It kind of came from the, so there's our prevention program at Shelter Wings is based on the 40 developmental assets, which is out of the Search Institute, which is We do a lot of talking about what happens when kids don't get what they need and then all these intervention services are needed. But the Search Institute wants to find the positive life experiences that kids need to have in order to grow up to be thriving, contributing adults. And so they identified all these 40 assets that young people need to have. And one of them, which is actually one of the fewer reported assets of being had. So the assets are self-reported. So young people take like an assessment and then they report how many of these assets they think they have. And one of the fewest, one of the ones that had the lowest score is the reading for pleasure. And you know why that is, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not even sure that they know why that is, but reading was one of the lower categories as being reported. So we thought that's interesting. And then that was really what we thought about it That was just an interesting fact like everyone else. But then as you start to think about what that means, there's that pleasure in reading. There's that growth in learning. And so then we start to see how all these assets are connected. We thought, wouldn't it be great if we could build this asset that is the lowest on the list, pleasure and reading, and pick a story that also builds assets? Just through the storyline that it has. And so we started to think about what it might look like to deploy men into the community to read to kids a story that builds assets, but then also be an asset builder because. All these assets that kids need to have, it's up to adults to help them achieve these things. It's things like support and empowerment and boundaries and expectations and constructive use of time and personal values and positive identity and cultural competencies and all of those things that we as adults need to help children achieve and learn and grow. And so we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could help, if we could use men who are already leading our community, be intentional in this very specific way about reading to kids in a predominantly female industry of teaching and education where they would see a man leading well and building assets for them or helping them to, be, to identify the important assets that they need to grow.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I'm just frame everything through my own experiences. It's just who I am, I guess. In one of the schools that you'll be reading in, one of the elementaries, or maybe all of them, I don't know. Maybe you'll go to Brentwood Elementary in Plainfield, where I went. I can remember one man who survived the Holocaust coming in to speak to us. I can remember people coming in and speaking to us. When I think back on my elementary education and my education in general, it is largely female. And nothing wrong with that. Like you said, it's a largely female industry. Men seem to impact people in the sports category. I was definitely affected by male teachers in high school, but I don't remember any male teachers or male presence really in my elementary. Now that was 30 years ago. So I'm sure that it's probably just accelerated more female. So it is an interesting idea. So you've done it for a few years now, What kind of feedback do you get from parents, teachers, and kids with this?
1: We have, so the first year we did it was 2019 and then of course COVID. So the first year we received just an amazing amount of feedback of, from men who after they were done were like, can we do this again next month? Or this was fantastic. I had so much fun. Teachers, I think as a teacher, I'm I'm, from being in a classroom, I understand all the pressure that's on a teacher. So when someone else can come in and say, you know what, take five minutes, I'm going to read a story to your kids, and then you can build on it if you choose to. It was really our hope was to let teachers know that we see them, and we see all that they give and do for their kids, and we want to be able to support teachers as well. And so teachers really were very receptive to us coming in, to readers being there, and um, Each teacher receives the book that we read as a gift to their classroom library. So they are coming away with a book for their class. We supply the teachers with teacher resources. So like activities that they can then incorporate into the classroom setting. The readers will engage the kids in questions after they're done reading the story that are directly related to the book. And so there's a lot of interaction and that interaction has been well received all the way from administrators superintendents to teachers principals the kids and even the parents i remember the first year we did the the read program we had a gentleman who was retired and he read but then he had like a side job where he worked as an usher at the pacers athletic center or at the pacers Bankers life Fieldhouse, i guess for the pacers and they would have kids come through as like on field trips And someone from the school that he had read at came through on a field trip and said, Hey, I think you read at my school. And he was like, I probably did. I just did went and did that. And he was like, that was so fun. The kids like, just, they loved it. Now they've made this connection of this man who came to their classroom and this is where he works. This is where he leads in his community. And so it was like this full circle connection of, um, his impact and his reach and his ability to not only go to a classroom and lead, but now he's talking to these kids about their field trip and what it means to run a a big field house like Banker's Life. So it was a, it was full circle for that gentleman. And that's just one situation, but we hear those stories all the time from our readers, how they decided that this was such a great experience They went back and read again in the classroom on their own time, or they encouraged other men to read with them the next year. So it was a really, it's we've only heard positive things about the uh, event.
0: Yeah. So March 16th coming up, 450 men will read throughout the country. So is this in the County? Okay. in just the County that, wow. So we're putting this in
1: every elementary classroom, in all six school corporations. Brownsburg does first grade only, but every other school corporation does all elementary classrooms. So the total number of readers needed to cover every classroom is 470.
0: I love the idea. And I hope if you're listening across the country, maybe you could partner with your local women's shelter and get in touch with Sheltering Wings. I'm sure you guys would be happy to share your entire men in action plan and walk through the shelter and the leader, the men leading this sort of effort in your own community. I imagine that's the case.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: They're super easy to get hold of. I rarely turn around an interview request in a day, but <laughs> I think we made this happen in what, five hours? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see that throughout the country, not just the county. You are in need of readers. So if you're listening via podcast, you can go to shelteringwings.org and you can look for the Men in Action Read event. It's right there on the front page. I noticed that you're a little low out there in Pittsburgh in that area and Plainfield and other places, but you've got several of the school districts are, are completely full, yes. which is awesome.
1: Yep. We we're excited.
0: So now do you give instructions or do you like, what do you give a yeah. book or how, if I show up and I want to do this on the 16th, how does that work for me as a reader?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, for each school corporation in the county, we have meeting sites or launching sites. So, for example, in Plainfield, they will meet at the administration building and all 104 readers in Plainfield will go there. They'll have breakfast. They'll get their book. They will get that they'll be reading Misha Makes Friends, which is the book for this year. They'll get their book. They'll get a T-shirt that says Men in Action Read on it. They'll get a safe visitor badge. So we run all of our readers through background checks. So they have their safe visitor badge. Then we will, um, equip them with, give them the opportunity to read through the book for the first time. We will give them kind of an inspirational and encouragement as to why they're doing what they do. They'll have breakfast together and then we will deploy them out to their school. They'll get the school assignment. We'll assign them to a specific school and they will head to that school. The principals are awaiting their arrival. They have the list of readers coming to their school and when they get there, they send them to their classrooms and they read ask questions and leave the book and go on their way.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And then, so you, what, you get there at eight and you're done by 10. Yep. Two hours of commitment to to make an impact. All right. Shameless self-promotion time. How can people get in touch with you on this or anything else?
1: I can be reached at Eckerd, E-C-H-E-R-D, at shelteringwings.org. And my address is actually, my email address is on the website. So you can find my contact information there. But 317-386-5061 is my office number. Feel free to call with any questions that anyone has when it comes to the prevention of dating violence, domestic violence, or getting resources for help.
0: All right. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. If you learned something, please share this with your friends and family. And we thank you so much for your time. We'll see you again here on The Chris Spangle Show.